0: And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's the Larry Miller Show! Good evening, mister and Mrs. America, and everyone who really wonders how England conquered the world. Hi folks and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, is it ever beautiful here on Milleronia today? It's a gorgeous day. It makes you feel great. Boy it sets your teeth just right and it makes you feel ready for a good meal afterwards that Colonel Jeff and I are going to have, and uh, gee, it's it just is, it's gorgeous, I know, I know, I know, I control the weather, and I make it gorgeous, but it's still worth saying it's a beautiful, beautiful day, and as always, that, well, the music makes, makes me feel great, makes Colonel Jeff feel good too, that's the Dave Meath Orchestra, And the Helen Amore Dancers, featuring boy tenor Jim Broderick, asking the musical question, If D-Day was the longest day, what was the shortest day? Well, that's a heck of a question, Jim. It really is. And uh, by the way, I love the movie The Longest Day, and I never, to this moment, thought of it as, Oh, that's why it was called The Longest Day, because people thought, well, D-Day was the longest day. There was so much at stake. Good Lord, there were. it, it could have gone sour at all sorts of different points. and Well, thankfully it didn't, but uh, that was the longest day. Terrific movie. But what was the shortest day? Well, I'll tell you what. I think the shortest day is the day... Here on Milleronia that you're scheduled to be thrown into the volcano. And uh, yes, there's a last meal you get. And uh, unlike normal prisons, by the way, where you get to pick your last meal, I get to pick your last meal here. And it's always terrific. I, well, I, I think it's great. I'm picking it. and uh, And you're going to think it's great, too, I promise you. Because if you don't... Well, there are things that can happen before you go into the volcano. I'll just leave it at that. But you know what? Yes, you get a last meal, and yes, your family can visit, unless you don't want them to. That's just, you know, entre nous. But uh, I'll still bet you a dollar that day flies by far more than you want it to. So good question. If D-Day was the longest day, what was the shortest day? Any day you're scheduled to be thrown into one of our volcanoes. Number one or number two. And uh, I can promise you that. And by Amazon, PayPal, and my book. You know what? Amazon is still my favorite company in, in the world because they do three things that no other company can do. One, order whatever you want they'll get it to you. Anything you can think of, Amazon will get it to you. Two, they already have it. They don't even have to send away for it. They don't have to make it. They don't have to borrow it. They don't have to do anything. They've got it already. They have one of those warehouses like Indiana Jones used to have of just, it's a mile long and a mile wide and a mile high and a mile deep. And that's a big warehouse. I don't care where you're from. And you know what though, folks? They've got it all ready, and they'll send it right out to you. And number three, my favorite part of why Amazon is the best company in the world, they send us here at the show a percentage of whatever you order. So anything you have, anything you can imagine, anything you want, you get anyway from Amazon. Plus, they send me and Colonel Jeff a percentage of the of anything you ask for and of course we put it right in our in our tin box right in the tin box to save for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner and two drinks beforehand in a different place which yes you're correct we might might use to invite dr chris to again if his schedule with his clog dancing lessons, doesn't interfere. He's, of course, at the University of Solvang, studying for a doctorate in clog dancing. And uh, I know, and Colonel Jeff knows, Dr. Chris is going to be the best in the world at it, because that's the way he does everything. And uh, that's why we might, might, may, may, invite him to our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with two drinks beforehand in a different place and uh you know what by the way so do yourself a favor if 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 you ever want to call amazon don't do that you don't go there yourself don't do anything on your computer don't on, on your on your iphone or anything like that go to us go to our website here at the show larrymillerpodcast.com who's on the mountain tom mix <laughs> That's just, that one really got me. It's just so silly. And and we know, Colonel Jeff and I know, and you know, that silly is a great word. Silly's not a bad word. Silly is a wonderful word. It's a great part of your life. So do that. Go to our website. We have a banner that says Amazon right there. Click our banner. Then go take a nap. Lay yourself down in your big easy chair or your your lazy boy chair and and put a magazine over your head, click that chair back, and just, yeah, you know, uh, cop some Zs. Is, is that, did I say that right? Hey, Colonel Jeff just shrugged. Yeah, it's close enough for jazz. In any case, do that and go to Amazon. And my, and my other favorite company, by the way, which is also a banner on our website, PayPal. And they're, eh, they're terrific. They make you feel like you're saving the world when you work with them. And, and who knows, maybe you are. So uh, do that. You know, if you enjoy my show, and why wouldn't you? And you'd like to send us a few bucks here to help out, and why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. And uh, just come back to, well, our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Tom Mix. <laughs> Well, I know it's after the fact, but that fellow should have had the fish. I mean, holy mackerel boy, oh boy, that that I think never mind d day I think the day he made that sound, that was the longest day <laughs> at any rate. go to our website. And, uh, you know, because it's, I don't like to say donate or pay what you like or join the Platinum Committee or all those phrases we all see all the time. And I, I just say, buy us some drinks. That's right. It's, it's, a, it's a friendlier way to go about this. So uh, there are different levels, you know, level one through five, all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! <laughs> Maybe that's what that guy who shouts yes there did. Maybe he made that that boat sound. Boy, God bless him. Uh, All right, so you look for, well, look for the PayPal banner on our website, as I said. And you know what, folks? Every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And thank you to everyone who has contributed already. And thank you in advance to everyone who's about to. And by me, my book. That's right. I'm very proud of it. Spoiled, rotten America. And uh, did great when it was out in sales and came out and really did well. And uh, I had a great time writing it. It's funny and, well, it talks about not just my life, but your life too. And you'll enjoy it. And they're signed. Signed hardcover copies of my book. Spoiled Rotten America. And they're now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. Store.comedyfilmnerds.com. So, uh, well, thank you in advance for that. Thank you for those who've already bought the book. And thank you for those who are about to. And that brings us to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. (laughs) <laughs> boy everything is tickling me today that's nice it's a good feeling folks i hope you're in good moods too anyway colonel jeff and i both like this joke it's uh it's a good joke uh a young lady is uh walking past a pet store and she looks in the window and glances in and she happens to see a parrot uh sitting there on a little perch in the window and he He's a beautiful parrot, a really a striking bird. And uh, she stops, she pauses. That's how beautiful this bird is. And she says, well, good Lord, and uh, what a lovely parrot. And there's a little sign uh, underneath the parrot that says, uh, parrot for sale, $10. And she thinks, $10? Isn't that, that's awfully cheap for a bird that beautiful. She walks into the pet store And says to the owner there, you know, well, uh, frankly, I'm interested in the parrot. It's just a gorgeous bird. Why is it so cheap, though? Why are you only charging $10? And the owner was really hems and haws for a second. Then he says, I'll be honest with you, miss, that uh, this parrot used to work in a brothel. He was always on display, always in the parlor there, in the lobby of the brothel. And, well, he might have. Picked up, you know how parrots are. They I may mean, he picked up a lot of things that might not be for polite company. You know, uh, things to say, and uh, so that's why he's only ten dollars. And the woman thinks to herself and says, "Well, you know what? I how bad can that be? It's a beautiful bird. I already, I already care about the bird. I'm," she says. "I'll take him." She gives the owner ten dollars, takes the bird home, and uh, puts him up there. And uh, the bird is, uh, well, you know, he's nice. He's just smiling for birds and just, and, and by the way, again, gorgeous. And uh, she carries the bird into her house. And the bird looks around in the house and says, uh, oh, boy, wow, well, it's not nice. See, they redid the old place. And, uh, oh, and he looks at her and he says, uh, I uh, got a new madam, too, and she's not bad looking. And they does that, I can't do the parrot thing. But uh, so the young woman says, well, that wasn't too bad. All right. You know, it uh, is a little, little tart, a little saucy, but uh, plus he gave me a nice compliment. That's okay. And uh, so in a, an hour or so later, her daughters come home from school and the uh, bird just pipes up. They look over at the bird. What is that? And the bird suddenly pipes up and uh, looks at them and says, uh Wow, ooh, look at this, uh, two new hookers in. We're going to be busy tonight. And the girls are like their mother. They kind of chuckle at that, and they don't take offense. And uh, And they think, well, how do you like that? does The bird says something like that to us. And uh, their mother says, yeah, okay, well, let's, you know, let's get ready. And then, uh, sure enough, an hour later, uh, her husband comes home, and he's uh, ready for dinner. And uh, he sees the bird and uh, walks up to him, and the bird says to him, Hi, Jim. <laughs> we got a kick out of that. And as I told Colonel Jeff, you know, it's bad. Be- I like the reading the punchline like that just very casually. Instead of, Hi, Jim. You know, that it's it was fun to just say. It's just very a matter of fact. Oh, hi, Jim. You know, that's- that means old Jim was... There are a lot. He was he was a, a regular, more than a regular. That sounds like a three times a week fella. Hi, Jim. Yeah, yeah. just grab yourself a drink and have a seat. You know, he does everything. Probably just grabbed anything you wanted around there. In any case, that was our joke of the week. I hope you like it. And if you do, please pass it along to one of your friends or family. And that brings me to my... Second favorite part of the show, the poetry corner. But, you know what, folks? You notice you didn't hear the theme song there. I'm going to read the poem just a bit later in the show, and you'll see why. So that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. M-M-M, Triple M, The Magic Movie Moment. Favorite piano note. Uh, This is a terrific movie. And uh, you know what? If you've seen it, you'll feel the same way. And if you haven't, you want to see it soon. It's called The Bank Dick. Starring W.C. Fields and so many others. Good Lord. It's from 1940. And uh, folks, this is a terrific movie. And one of the things W.C. Fields did so well... By the way, it's directed by Edward Klein, and uh, what a cast! Uh, you might not know a lot of these names, but you'd know that you'll know them when you see them. Uh Cora Witherspoon, Una Merkel, Evelyn Del Rio, Jesse Ralph—all uh, oh, these two great character actors, Franklin Pangborn and Grady Sutton—and Champ Howard is in this. That's right, and uh, that was the brother of Mo Howard and Curly Howard. He was also, for a time, one of the Three Stooges, as I'll bet you know. But uh, Shemp was just terrific, and he was in a lot of good movies, too. What a cast. Russell Hicks, Pierre Watkin, Al Hill, Bill Wolf, George Moran. It's many, many other folks, and uh, it's a great movie, and it's... Just perfect for... By the way, some of the character names I want to read, because this is a perfect movie for W.C. Fields, that uh, Una Merkel played. His name in the movie, well, Fields' name in the movie was Egbert Suze, which is terrific. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Suze. It's, it's, just, it's just a silly name. It's wonderful. And his family, uh, Agatha Suze and uh, Myrtle Suze. And uh, (laughs) one of his daughters, played by Evelyn Del Rio, and her name is Elise May Amy Brunch Suze. And uh, so, you know what? I just think that's funny, the word brunch, for no reason. She's married to a guy named Brunch. But uh, in any case, it's a very good movie, folks. It's very funny. Uh, W.C. Fields plays a character who makes a living by doing puzzles and figuring out little codes, oh, on cereal boxes and things like that. And he he gets by and he makes a living doing that. And one day he's sitting on a park bench and the bank is robbed. The local bank is robbed. And he tips over as the crook is escaping. He, He falls over on the park bench and it lands right on the crook. He and the bench land right on the crook. He catches the crook. Well, he becomes kind of a hero in town there. Yeah, as if he did just a really brave thing. And his reward for catching the crook is they make him the bank dick. They make him the detective, the security guard in the bank. And just seeing him with that cap tipped back a little to the side is worth the price of admission. It's a terrific movie anyway. But... There's so many good parts to it, and so many good scenes, and so many magic movie moments. And the one I wanted to tell you about today is a car chase. This is the second time the bank is robbed, by the way, when W.C. Fields, of course, is in charge. But it's just fun along the whole way. And the crooks who robbed the bank the second time grab Suze and force him to drive them out of town. Which is as you already know, not a smart thing to do, and but fields Egbert Suze is behind the wheel, folks, they run some film behind him for a car chase scene, and it's a you' sort of like a country road with hills and mountains and bushes and plains, and just it goes by so fast, and fields is just calmly chatting the crooks are oh they getting a little nervous but fields is considering it looks like he's going a hundred miles an hour in this open car it has no top on it i don't know if they call them convertibles in those days but it's a four-door car jalopy and uh he's saying other cars roar by at what looks like 200 miles an hour and he just says things like road hog and you just it's very, very good and very, very funny and leaves you feeling just the way you ought to and like any good movie especially, well, especially one with W.C. Fields, you know what folks, it has a happy ending and uh, things work out just about the way they should, so uh, that's my, well that's my magic movie moment for you this week the Bank Dick, starring W.C. Fields, and boy, oh boy, that great car chase. And uh, you know something, folks, that uh, the reason, it's, today is a very interesting day, and a, lot, a couple of things will come together for it. Today, and we're recording this on the 14th of September, and the 14th of September is the 202nd anniversary of, of the victory the american victory our victory over the british at the battle of baltimore this was part of the war of 1812 but uh well the british were really and it was still only 30 years after they lost after we won our revolution and the british aren't aren't folks who forget things they uh they were still miffed about that, so this war came on, the War of 1812, and uh, boy, they decided to attack Baltimore. This is the war, by the way, they conquered Washington, our Washington, Washington, D.C., and they burned the White House and the Capitol building, and they burned it, I mean, to the ground, and uh, they were coming after Baltimore now, and uh, but they didn't win, they lost, And this was also a victory for us, where Fort McHenry uh, won, beat the British, and they attacked Fort McHenry with 19 British warships and thousands of British troops. These folks didn't kid around. And you know what? And there's a reason that, well, Major Armistead, who was the commander of Fort McHenry, and... uh, Well, folks, they went through the whole night. That battle, the attack on his fort went through the whole night from the 13th and the troops were coming up since the 11th. And uh, well, the British wanted that fort so they could clear the way for all their other ships and all their other troops to come slamming into Baltimore. And uh, Major Armistead, in addition to defending well and fighting back well, and the Americans did such a good job on that, he, well, he kept his American flag flying, uh, that was, which is a huge garrison flag. And it was uh, flying over, still flying over his undefeated victorious fort on the morning of the 14th. And uh, the entire battle was watched all night by a young lawyer from Baltimore. He was on, he himself was on a British ship in the harbor. He was there trying to free another young Marylander, a friend of his, who had been uh, taken prisoner by the British. And they watched that battle all night. Everyone in the area did. And, uh, folks, And the British were 19 warships. Remember, the British were firing rockets onto the fort. And those turned out to be the rockets' red glare. And they were firing bombs, mortars as well, into the fort. And those were the bombs bursting in air. And on the morning of the 14th, It was very, very moving because that garrison flag was still flying. In other words, it gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And on board that ship where they watched that battle all night, and when they saw that tattered American flag still flying over Fort McHenry, two things happened. The British... Were crushed their will was completely broken when the British saw our flag they knew well they had lost everything and they were never going to take that way going up to Baltimore the Americans were thrilled and proud and that young American lawyer from Baltimore on the British ship to free his friend who had watched the whole battle all night long. And that young man named Francis Scott Key was so moved, he put pen to paper and wrote a poem called The Star-Spangled Banner. And that, well, frankly, moved me so much when I read about that today on the Internet. And uh, I thought, how do you like That's another one of those How do you like that in life? You may know that story. You may know part of that story, or you may know all of it. But Francis Scott Key and the other Americans on board that ship and the other Americans in the area were so moved to see our flag still there. And the first title of the poem, by the way, was called The Defense of Fort McHenry. And then the name was changed because uh, the Navy started using it and uh, as, as, as a theme whenever they raised or lowered the flag. Our Navy would, uh, would have the men sing this. And it was sung uh, to a British drinking song. Well, there's some poetry to that, I guess. <laughs> For a, a private club. And uh, in London, and it was renamed. Then the song was renamed The Stars and Stripes Forever. And you know what? I, I just think that's a beautiful name. The Stars and Stripes Forever, folks. And so this brings me now to my second favorite part of the show The Poetry Corner. I think that fella coughing today was the British commander when he saw that our flag still flying. And uh, this poem that uh, Francis Scott Key originally wrote has four stanzas. You and I know the first one, well, because in 1931, that became officially became our national anthem. And uh, that's the one, of course, i say, Can You See by the Dawn's Early Night? But there are three other stanzas. And there was actually an, an extra one, a, a fifth stanza that was, well, added. Not, it's not part of it officially now, but written by Oliver Wendell Holmes. This was a very meaningful poem and song to all of us, to all Americans. And I thought today it would be good to read to you as today's poem the last stanza of francis scott keys stars and stripes forever and here it is oh thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation blessed with victory and peace may the heaven rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, In God is our trust, and the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave." It's a terrific poem, folks. And by the way, every stanza ends with that line, O'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Every stanza starts with a question, a haunting question, filled with with doubt or with trouble. But it always ends with that powerful declaration. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave O'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. And, well, I thought that was good to read today. Y- yes, there is, as you must know, there's, well, the Star Spangled Banner is uh, in the news a lot lately because, well, this fella here or that fella there or a couple of folks have decided it doesn't suit them. And I'm not going to open that up. I'll just leave it to say. You can tell where my heart is by having read it. And I think some of those fellows should read it too and think about what they're doing. But you know something? It, it, it struck me also that, uh, well, that, those were the days when uh, Britain, England, the uh, UK, the United Kingdom ruled the world. They you know, they really, well, they did. They uh, they conquered every place. And, uh, boy, it was just, in fact, the proudest phrase they had, the saying they had was, the sun never sets on the British Empire. And everyone thought that was, whoa, how do you like that? Everyone was impressed with that as well. Boy, the sun never sets on the British Empire. And uh, I always remember saying that, well, they were for many centuries, they were they were the big cheese. And uh, I, I always remember that the biggest thing for years, hundreds of years, remember that those trade routes they had across the world were very prominent, and that's how they got all sorts of things, like oranges. It sounds silly to say maybe, but the biggest thing in England for a long time was oranges. Well, a king or a duke would... At the end of dinner, one of those big dinners in the castle there, they would bring out, you know, after they had you know, a lot of the entertainment for dinner, they'd have women dancing, and uh, they'd have, you know, an archery contest inside in the castle there. And, uh, well, just for fun, I guess they'd execute seven or eight people and for dessert. But you know what? The, the biggest thing, and this is the truth they could do, the greatest Part of any meal like that was at the end of it, uh, someone would come out with a bowl of oranges, which may not sound like much to you or me, but it was to them. Boy, who knew how to get oranges? And well, the answer was you couldn't get them. They didn't grow them in England and they didn't grow them anywhere in France. They didn't. You had to go along one of those spice routes. And way, way away, and somebody would bring back, well, they'd bring back that bowl of oranges. And uh, I always got a kick out of the fact that, by the way, the, uh, in England, for the same period of time, five, six hundred years, syphilis, the disease syphilis, was called the French disease. And in France, <laughs> from the same five hundred years, They called syphilis the English disease, which tells you something about, I don't think these, (laughs) these folks were very fond of each other for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, how did people get to like being, well, and also the English did something that was, uh, well, the source of a, you know, a, a, a great word for us that, uh, When they had India, which is an amazing thing to say, they had India. It's such a, it's so big. It's unbelievably big. I know what, I don't, Colonel Jeff and I were saying that to each other before. How do you even conquer that? How do you get that? How do you hold it? What do you do with it? And, you know, it was, it was a long time. It took a long time before the, before India itself and all the various peoples they have finally realized they looked at, uh, well, let the British there, and just saw like eleven guys in the main headquarters in town, and they it finally hit them, so you mean we don't just have to do this, we don't have to just listen to them and do whatever they say, and they eventually no, you don't, but uh when a lot of the well a lot of the uh, a lot of the British from the East India Trading company. And ways, though, they, they made a lot of money there. And uh, to go to India from England, they would sail, of course, down the coast of Africa, down, you know, across Europe, uh, down the Europe and down Africa and around the Horn. And then from there, you know, head east to India. But it was known the wealthiest English would always know that well because of the heat and because of uh, bugs and just to make the trip nicer, they always, always used to get go on uh, going when they were going outbound to, in other words, to India from England. They would always get uh, rooms or suites on the port side of the ship, on the left side of the ship, because going down the coast of Africa and then around the Horn and across to India, that was better that way. It was better in temperature and it was better with, well, bugs and whatever, you know, used to make a trip harder. And then going home, well, they would, when they were going back from India back to England, they'd go the same way around the horn the other way and up the coast of Africa. And these same folks, the wealthy folks, would then for the trip back get a suite on the starboard side, it was on the right side. And that was the way to do it. They all knew it. Wow, if you had the money, that was the way to do it. And that gave us kind of an interesting word because they knew, the British knew at the time, well, if you had the money, you wanted to take the port side out and the starboard side home or P-O-S-H, posh. That's how we got the word and the meaning of it. Well, that was a posh way to live portside out starboard home and so well wow, we've i think we've still got a lot you know and how do you how do you get that popular why were they popular by by conquering everything that because colonizing the world is no easy task i wonder, what do you even get from it i don't know here in america by the way in the same time period 100 200 years we always wanted uniforms too Everyone, I think, has an instinct for that. And, uh, you know, uh, Colonel Jeff was telling me about the great artist Bill Malden, and how Bill was, that was from New Mexico. And, uh, boy, he he grew up kind of poor and he only had two articles of clothes. They were both just, well, uh, jeans. And they were both uh, work jeans with straps on them. And uh, he had nothing else, and he thought, "Well, I could meet more girls if I joined the army, because at least I get a uniform there." And he did, and he did, and he did both those things, because it does work. People, one once you put a uniform on, then you go to that Saturday night dance in in someone's barn, you look pretty good in an army uniform, and well, better than you do in coveralls, I guess. But, you know, folks always liked that. And then it always interested me that, excuse me, all over America, judges for years, not just just decades, for centuries, would take their young convicted teenagers, guys who had been, well, they stole a car or they busted up a bar or they did something on that level. And you know what? The judge would stand them there when it came time for sentencing. And this happened, folks, all the time. He, the judge would say, you know what, I'm going to give you a choice here. You can go to prison right now, today, or join the Army, today. And it was any one of the armed forces, Army or Navy, was was, uh, was most popular. And you know what, all these guys, all of them, not surprisingly, you would, I would, they joined the Navy or they joined the Army that day. And that's what their sentence would be. And there wasn't one of those kids, who didn't say afterwards, later in life, you know what, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Really straightened me out, made me into a young man instead of a, oh, just a knucklehead the way I was. And, uh, and I see, I have a theory that the uh, British only conquered countries they knew they could outdrink. Now this, now just stay with me on this. I mean, if you think about it, what did uh, what did England conquer? The places where you think, well, South Africa, well, they can't drink there. You know, it's uh, there's some tough tribes, but they're not drinkers. And same, well, Hong Kong, they kind of had Hong Kong for a long time. Well, same thing. They they can't drink. And then no one, uh, same with India. How do you, you know, conquer India? Well, no one can drink there. And so they they would always just go into these places Throw, open up all the pubs throw a party out drink everyone and the next day, the next morning when all the local folks were well, sleeping late and getting up at 11 and just whew, they were walking kind of funny and they couldn't really take it and they looked around and well, they had new visitors now and the bridge you know, conquered everything <coughs> that one we can cut And I so that's why I think the British only conquered countries they could outdrink. That's how they got every place in the world. And that also, by the way, explains why they never fully conquered Ireland. Because if you think about it, that's that's gotta be the one place on the earth. Who's gonna sail into Ireland and say, I think we can outdrink them? Are you kidding? That's 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 insane. You, you might try that well with Hong Kong or Japan or anything like that, or or India. Oh, okay, but no, you have to figure that after the first few years in Ireland, when you know, British soldiers would be in a pub around eleven at night, and the barman they'd uh, nod over at the bartender, and and the uh, barman there, the publican would uh, would uh, ring the bell and say, "All right, time, gentlemen," and you know, it was closing time at eleven o'clock. And uh, well, everywhere else in the world, everyone would just leave. But then the Brits would smile at each other and clink their glasses at a toast, and then they'd look down the end of the bar and notice well, none of the Irish had left. <laughs> they, they they didn't need to. They were just still standing there in their group, just saying, you know, "Oi, British soldier!" Ah, no, we we don't we don't need to leave. Looking for a drink? Are you still looking for one? Well. We'll take you for a walk. The, the brother has a chabine up the road, just a couple of miles. Good stretch of the legs, and uh, they would do that. And the next day, the other Brits would notice those fellows hadn't come back. <laughs> the, they, the colonel and the major and a couple of the, the, the other redcoats there didn't return. And when someone, you know, when the uh, when the police asked the uh, local Irish. Fellas there, you know, what happened to the colonel and, and his men? Uh, the Irish would look at each other and shrug and say, gee, it's a... Well, not, we're not sure, but it's an easy place to get lost. <laughs> so that had always been my theory. But you know what? I, I think this is a wonderful day to remember the 202nd anniversary of... Well, that garrison flag that Major Armistead still flew over Fort McHenry because they had won and the British couldn't knock down that flag and they knew they had lost. And uh, well, folks, I know that's I know that's true. I know that's a good story. And as always, you know, you know, the same things I know anyway. Homer is Homer. Homer. And Pluto is a planet. So remember, as ever, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's also the truest thing I know. Be well, and we'll see you here next time.